Now they need a hero in Babats. Paul Prim, the central midfielder now, wearing the armband. And he steps up and he saves! And Mites have got it! They have pulled off the upset here in magnificent style! What a night for the Germans! They'll never forget the night they beat Barcelona! The two-time winners are out, and it's magnificent mites who make it through on penalties. Babat's the hero. But so many heroes. They came in their thousands, and they got what they wanted. One of the great atmospheres in this UEFA Youth League. And they have been rewarded with a giant win, with a massive night. It's another episode of the Unnamed English Minds podcast. And as you heard from the clip we played in on, we have history to celebrate this week. Sheridan, before we ruin the vibe later on, please talk to me at length about Tuesday night. What a night, Connor. Hello, by the way. What a night. I'm so excited to finally come onto the podcast and be able to just be happy. Just be over the moon with something that a Minds club did. Um, you've probably, if you're listening to this, you probably follow Mites closely enough that you know what happened on Tuesday night. Our under-19s team took on Barcelona in the first knockout stage of this season's UEFA Youth League competition, um, having won the beaten Dortmund in the final last year to win the German national title. Um, got past a couple of qualifying rounds, and then in December were drawn against the might of Barcelona at home. Um, in that first knockout round. And um, I, yeah, I, I honestly, I'm still speechless. That game was a couple of days ago. Um, I, I'd lost my voice after the match. Um, Mainz having, like I said, won the title, our first ever entry into the competition when we first won the German title back in 2009, I think it was, correct me if I was wrong. Uh, I don't know if the youth league was a thing, but we certainly didn't qualify. Um, so the lads um, and, and Benny Hoffman, their trainer, uh, their manager got the first taste of knockout football, of international knockout football. And of, of all teams, it was the Spanish giants, the Catalan giants, Barcelona, two times champions, two times winners of the competition. And they were sent home packing. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those moments where I was in Mainz. I was maybe 10 to 15 minutes away from the Brookvigs stadion. I was kind of just really annoyed that it's a 6pm kickoff and I have to work until 6pm, so I couldn't go. So I was on the bus with the, the live stream on, uh, just the biggest FOMO feeling of my life. Uh, <laughs> and then got about my evening. I was, I was actually, <laughs> I followed the penalty shootout in the gym and I was like, I was too nervous to watch. <laughs> I, had, I, I had my phone turned face down uh, while sort of doing some uh, exercise. Um, and then for what we thought was going to be the winning penalty, I watched it and we missed. So I was like, right, back on the back of it. <laughs> uh, see what happens. Um but yeah, a really memorable night. And I think we should do a proper analysis just to uh, give these players the sort of respect they deserve. Obviously, you've seen more than me, uh, I guess, there, Sheridan. So talk me through the game. Uh, yeah, so it was. it's difficult to tell going into a game how good a side is going to be because obviously it's, it's still youth football. It's still under-19s football. So 
you know, if, if you looked at the men's team and you said, all right, mine's are playing against Barcelona, you'd probably expect a five, six, seven, you'd expect a thrashing of sorts. Um, with all due respect to the Mainz players and maybe a little too much respect to the current crop of Barcelona players. Um, but but in youth football, kind of anything goes. And um, and that was shown in, in last season's competition, Alkmaar, as at Alkmaar from the Netherlands, went on to win the thing. Um, again, like if you said that about the, the men's team, with all due respect to them, I don't know if you'd expect them to go on and win an international competition anytime soon. So it was it was a kind of mixed uh, feeling going into the game of, of kind of knowing that we could potentially do this and, you know, we've got a, um, a chance of getting through to the next round. Um, having been really excited about the under-19s team, this crop of players that are coming through over the last 18 months that just keep on exceeding themselves and just keep on reaching new heights. Um, to also just not having an actual clue at all what was going to happen on the pitch because like I say there was just no way of measuring looking at the the 11 that Barcelona started with there's no real way of measuring how good those proper lads really are um, the, the, I think was- that actually adds to the romance of it in terms of it's kind of like do you remember like back in the day when you were watching like European football and you're just not so like poisoned football brain that you know all of the information of all the players already and you know how they're going to match up it's like I kind of have I have a good idea about how we are. I have no idea what they're going to be like, even though it's Barcelona. Yeah, hundred <laughs> uh, percent. It just adds up to like the most. You go into it like anything could happen here, and it's really exciting. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and I mean, and the only real connection that I had with with the Barcelona team was they've got Davic in the team, who was captain of the Germans under 17s World Cup or European winning side uh, in recent years, and. I say connection in in that I know who he is, um, and I've I've seen clips of him play, but not a real kind of like you say, totally poison football brain of like I know everything about this guy. I can pick his stats off the internet right now. And I was sat in the pub last night discussing his left foot with my best mate. Um, there's none of that. It's just a game of football is about to be played on the pitch. Um, so everyone was kind of in a in a, a decent mood going into it, thinking that kind of like romantic what if. Um, our active scene came to the game alongside the total just over 7,000 that, that sold out our Burkveig Stadium for this game. So there was a really good atmosphere in there as well, um, which you don't often see, obviously, for youth games. Um, the first sort of 20 minutes, we, uh, we played the ball around. We, we look, It looked very much like a German versus Spanish side. The Germans kind of were, were sat in a little bit deeper. They were very um they were very structured. They were firm in the challenge. They had a clear game plan, whereas the, the Spaniards looked a bit more technical. They looked to play look pop the ball around a little bit. There was these little darting runs in between the channels. Um it was it was kind of what you would expect of a, a Germany v Spain game um in, in the kind of stereotypical style of football that's come out of these countries. Um, and then 25 minutes, so midway through the first half, um, El Capitano Gleiber picks the ball up on the edge of the box, sends the left back for a hot dog um, and, and fires it beyond the keeper to put us 1-0 up to send the place completely balmy. Um, and it was it was just an incredible moment as well because it was not only that you could feel in the stadium uh, the fans being excited about going 1-0 up in this particular game, but you could feel the beat of... Mainz as a football club coming out in it and a club that has gone through so much this season um, to then have this moment um, it was was brilliant um, and and the boys they they sat in well and they they uh, the next five minutes they they kept tight kept things tight didn't do anything silly um, conceded an equaliser 
sadly, 10 minutes after the goal went in, there was a, a ball out on the left-hand side that was very typical Mainz fashion, was was kind of uh, fizzed across the box. Keeper didn't get anywhere near it and there was nobody picking up the centre-forward and he had a very easy task of just nodding into what was basically an empty goal. Um, and we went in at half-time, one each, and it was very much, we're in this game, lads. This this isn't uh, this is a, a genuine match-up. Um, we, we could do something here. Yeah, and I think it's, it's important to say with Gleiber as well, who uh, in the previous round, a beautiful free kick in the first leg and then last minute winner in the second leg. He's building up a sort of collection of moments there for that team that I think are a nice little audition, hopefully for bigger things as his career develops, as he gets older and uh, trains a bit more. I, I, he's already a sort of name that you're now based on this and based on what people have seen elsewhere, just like already starting to think like, is he going to be the next one to come up from the under-19s team, which we've seen a few players come straight from that team without even going to the under-23s in the last couple of years with Viper and Gruder as well. So um, he's, he's a really exciting talent for sure. Um, And yeah, I mean, yeah, you look at Mainz v Barcelona, the fact that you've given him a game, the fact that you're in the game, unfortunately, we did go 2-1 down early in the second half, but that didn't actually then really set us back too much. I think once they rode out the storm, I think you would have, to, from all of the analysis I've seen and everything I saw of the game, you have to say that we were the better team after we after we went 2-1 down. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I mean, obviously, we came out for the second half um, and, and they had a, a tricky little 11 um, that was... He was basically he was he was the kind of Messi of the obviously bringing the stereotype into the Barcelona team, but he was the Messi of that team. Not to say that he is the next Lionel Messi, but he didn't pick up the ball really. It wasn't his job. He was his job was to just take people with him, um, find himself a little pocket of space, and then when he did pick up the ball, beat three or four players. Um, and unfortunately, in again very typical Mainz fashion, this is only two or three minutes after the beginning of the uh, beginning of the second half. The ball's been nodded away from a corner that we were attacking. He's found space and the ball's dropped to him. He's run 70 yards with the thing um, and, and popped it beyond Babats in the goal. And it's it was an extremely silly goal to concede. Um, but like you say, the boys rallied really well. Um, they didn't let it get to their heads, um, stood their ground, found their feet again and started playing football that they've shown over the last um, 18 months um, and, and looked um, a very decent, very organised um dangerous team going forward as well. Not only, you know, okay, there were silly moments for the goals, very structured at the back, but actually going forward looked dangerous. And eventually the hard work paid off with about 15 minutes to go um, when another player um, who I rate extremely highly in the middle of the park, Philip Scholz, um, was able to bundle a ball over the line to grab what was ultimately a well-deserved equaliser. The game itself didn't have a great deal of chances. It wasn't an absolute humdinger of a game, but it was very obvious that Mainz were beginning to build the pressure, beginning to knock on the door a little bit um, and and got that equaliser that they fully deserved. And then the game petered out a little bit um, in, in, in those last 15 minutes. Um, one player, another player to mention that was... was not only great to see him back on the pitch after a nasty injury he picked up at Koblenz in pre-season, Maxime Dahl, um, another player that went away with the under-17s um, title-winning team. Um, I think it was him. I might be wrong here, but with about five minutes left of the game, picked the ball up 30 yards out, didn't see anyone in front of him, so just unleashed an absolute corker of a strike. Um, like a proper knuckleball, that thing is going top bins. Uh, unfortunately, it rattled off the uh, outside of the post. Uh, but would have been goal of the season contender if it had gone in. 
And then after that, there wasn't a lot left and we found ourselves going to the lottery of a penalty shootout. And I tweeted at the time as well. I said, that, you know, whatever had happened in that penalty shootout, the boys can be extremely proud of themselves um, because they not only played good football, but they they were organised, they were structured, they were there was a, a team spirit with them, um, and it was it was genuinely enjoyable to watch. Yeah, and I, th- I think if we if we just circle back to the goal, um, I think Philip Schultz is one of those other players. Like you say, you rate him. We've all seen him from the under 19s last season, um, and uh, I think. If it were not for probably injuries, he's the sort of player that you might have been hoping that we pull up into the um, first team squad, given there was such a problem with injuries at the start of the season. I think he kind of was unlucky to not be available at the time, even just to sort of fill the bench at, at that kind of point, because, yeah, he, he really is one that people sort of talk positively about. Uh, and I also want to claim a little bit of credit here, because literally like a minute before we scored, I did put up a tweet saying, come on, guys, let's go and get the equaliser <laughs> on, on, the, on the UEMP Twitter account. As God is my witness. Uh, so... I want to. I want to say. I didn't get the assist. Like I, I didn't do quite as much as Gliber, for example, in the build-up with a nice little chip ball in. Didn't get the assist. Didn't bundle it over the line like Schultz. Uh, but you know, somewhere I sort of did something with the equilibrium of the universe. I think. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to claim some credit there. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think the thing is as well. Just for a lot of these guys, this is going to be sort of a real highlight, regardless of what they then go on to do in their future careers. You've played Barcelona. You, there'll be people on that pitch that in the next World Cup cycle are on the pitch for their countries, probably, hopefully from our perspective, also for Mainz, but you know, definitely for Barcelona, there'll be people that sort of make it into the La Liga team. Um, I believe the commentator was even saying that like from their perspective, like a lot of their regular under-19 team was injured. So they actually brought in players that play for um, the second team, actually in the, the Spanish league system as well. So um, from that perspective, you've got a lot of players that within Barcelona are highly rated as well. So um, good memories for them. Um, and yeah, I I think you have to look at like Barcelona's goal, for example, and it's the sort of thing. If the first team considered it, I'd be absolutely fuming. But yeah. it's a magical goal, really, when you look at it. Like just such a good run from deep and sort of like finishing it off. I think we can say that having beat them. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's it's the sort of thing that yeah, that these kind of goals. I think they happen a little bit more at under nineteen level, maybe because there's a little bit more naivety there. I'm, I'm copying a point that was made on um, a Swindon podcast I help with. Uh, from one of my uh, fellow contributors there. Uh, and I thought it was a really good one. Like, you know, you see maybe a little bit more of a purer form of football in terms of it, it's not quite as uh, cynical maybe. Uh, and therefore, you, you, you do get those moments like that. So fair play. I think it's Danny Rodriguez who was called. Fair play. Yeah, maybe was, maybe yeah. we'll see him at Mainz one day. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Based on the uh, reaction he got from the crowd of his antics on uh, Tuesday, I don't think we'll be welcome in the city. But... Um, <laughs> No, he was he was a quality little player from a totally neutral perspective. He was take away the rose tinted glasses of of being a Mainz fan on on Tuesday night. He was a fantastic little player, and I think the the point about it being a truer form of, of football is a fair one to make because, like you say, if I, I think if you saw a goal like that in in full time men's football. Um, in, in, in kind of the, the the professional game, it would get talked to death for so long that these kind of mistakes are just drummed out of football. It takes away the the naivety of a defender and takes away the the creativity, the technical ability of a forward to even think of running 70 yards with a football for fear of getting brandished a, a greedy idiot. Um, 
So, you know, for exactly from a totally neutral perspective, you're watching him put the turbos on and 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 flying away from the fullback and going, yeah, fair play. You know, we're not going to catch you. Um, so, yeah. And then I was going, like, it, it, it was typical in the second half as well. Like, they got back to the, the Germany v Spain point. You see this this wonderful goal of technical ability um, from the Spanish player. And, and the German equaliser was very kind of hard fought bundle the ball over the line just to kind of like more of a will to get that ball beyond the goalkeeper rather than anything special not to say that it's it's not a good goal every goal is good um in its own right um but it was it was very gritty a very hard um performance and it was a a kind of moment of willpower um rather than anything magical but anyway speaking of magic i mean it's something that was always going to happen when it went to penalties you know, following a German team, I just think penalty shootouts hit so much more different. Than <laughs> <laughs> it's the first time I've gone into a penalty shootout ever feeling confident. <laughs> I yeah, I was it was it was a, a strange moment. Like it was just this this the butterfly because I haven't for a long time experienced a penalty shootout. I think the last shootout with Mainz would have been Elfersberg away in the cup in twenty twenty two. Uh, no, 2021 it would have been where we it ended up being about 12-11. We went through in the first round of the of the Pokal. But obviously in German football, there's a, a lot less penalty shootouts generally because there's less situations in which you could end up in a penalty shootout. Like maximum cup games you play in a season is six, uh, as opposed to following an English team. Like if you follow an English football league team, for example, um, you have about 77 different opportunities a season because of the amount of cup competitions we've got. Okay, what do you mean there, fine? Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was, it was again, and it was, and it was a complete lottery as well. Um, and Philip Schultz stood up and took the first one, which in itself was a miracle because the last 10 minutes he spent eight of them on the floor with cramp. He'd put such a, a, an effort in for the entire game that he could barely walk. Um, but he stepped up, took the first penalty and just rocketed it into the top corner, a perfect penalty. Um, and then the next, I think it was the first Three uh, were scored by each team. Um, Mainz, we scored our fourth, having taken first to go 4-3 up. And Luis Babats got down really well to his to his left to save uh, Barcelona's fourth uh, and give, of all players in that team, Gleiber match ball. Um, unfortunately, of all players, it was him that, that missed the fifth and, and missed the first opportunity to take us through to the next round. Barca got their equaliser, four all. We went into sudden death and by that point, I was in absolute pieces. Um, I struggle with penalty shootouts anyway, but going to sudden death, I was a, I was a shuddering mess. Um, and, and that wasn't to do with how cold it was. Um, and then I think it was the next two were scored by each team. Certainly one, potentially two were scored. It's, by it's, 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 we scored our next two, they scored the next one and then... Okay, yeah. So we, we scored two, exactly. We okay, so, yeah. um, and then, um, so we scored our second in the sudden death. And then they've they've stood up to take their their seventh. Um, he's he's tried to take it low to uh, Babats's right, but he's he's read it brilliantly, got down and parried away. Um, and and the place has erupted. Like Bukvik has has gone mental. And it was I said it earlier in the podcast. It was such a beautiful feeling because it was not only celebrating getting through to the next round. It was not only celebrating the achievement of the under 19s, but it was a celebration of something that Mites has been missing all season. And that is a genuine reason um, to be excited about something. And that victory for me extended beyond age group. It extended beyond 
different teams. It was a moment for Mainz 05 as a, a football club, as a part of this community. Um, and you could feel it in, in the stadium from, from those that were there and also the social media reaction for those that couldn't for whatever reason. It was just this, this a brilliant moment. And then to watch these lads come over and celebrate with their fans and get up on the stand with the, with the ultra scene and, and lead the Humber. It was, it was a beautiful moment. Yeah, and I think you can see in the footage, like literally, there's some Mainz fans celebrating like, on the verge of tears, which I think, <laughs> like I say, is is partly maybe the situation we're in, partly just like it is a historic achievement getting through to the next round. Uh, you know that there's then going to be the opportunity to watch them play against another great team, possibly uh in the in the next round we'll, we'll see the draw tomorrow see who we get uh whether that's home or away as well i'd, I'd love another night at the brookvig and I, I would have to make my excuses for work at some point so i could get there um mm. but yeah honestly it's uh yeah it's the sort of night that yeah you look back on in years to come and i'm sure that give it 10 years time we'll be looking at a lot of these players it's like established players uh and you know, we've been able to follow sort of from where their careers have begun almost. Um, still a lot of work to do, but yeah, in terms of moments, you don't get much better than that, do you? So no, 20 minutes on an under-19 game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and this, this is having watched a few under-19s games and been repeatedly berated for uh, enjoying <laughs> some new football. It is... And I, I feel I feel vindicated in that my moment has come that we've got this big moment in mind having watched a few of our games. Um no, it was it was brilliant. And like you say, the draws tomorrow, um, at the time of recording, and we can only play against the winner of the original a winner of one of the original group stages. So that could be an AC Milan, it could be a Real Madrid, it could be I think in Manchester City and it, it could be away. Um so we might need to start getting those holiday requests in pretty soon. Yeah, I think the games will be played final week of February, if I'm not mistaken. And do you know what? You know, the, the teams that are the teams that are in the Champions League themselves, like they, they might not even be that good. Like I'd rather not play the teams that have come through the way that we have because we've had to real, really battle to get in there. So um, I think that this UEFA Youth League Glark is easy. I think we're going to do the next AZ Alkmaar. Huh? <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I hope we don't. And this is horrible. Obviously, I hope we do uh, for a club level because it is an incredibly historical achievement. Like I say, it's the first time we've ever played in this competition. It will be brilliant. But I know already because the semi-finals and final are always hosted over a weekend in Switzerland. I already know that I won't even be on. I won't be in the country. I won't even be on the continent for the weekend that these games are playing. So like the little bit of me, the selfish part of me hopes we get there next season if we qualify again so I can be there at the finals because I'll be missing them this year um, but it's going to be no I'm not I'm not having that <laughs> like I said, the selfish the small 5% of me um, but no the the boys they fully deserve um, to, to be in the next round and they, they fully deserve a big day out whether that be home or away against a, another major name in, in European football so we, we're looking forward to seeing uh, what the draw brings us yeah, I think Gleiber wants Real Madrid. I wouldn't mind some tapas, so let's see what happens. Uh, <laughs> by, the time this, by the time you're listening to this, it's probably already been drawn, so uh, I guess we'll see. Anyway, I would rather that this is all we had to discuss, but we probably should talk about the senior team because actually, since we last talked, loads has happened. There's been two games. We've made two signings. Um, we should probably talk about the signings before the games because I think that at least keeps it on a relatively even kilter until the second half where we start to sort of cry um so 
First of all, uh, this this one kind of came a little bit out of the blue at the time. He's the kind of profile of player that we needed, but I just hadn't heard rumours about it until it kind of came through. He's got a medical uh, booked, uh, and let's see, from some, one of the Sky journalists. So uh, Nadia Mamiri, uh, Bundesliga fans will know all about him from his time um, at Leverkusen and previously at Hoffenheim. Um very talented players we've seen in the two games that he's played for us so far as well. Uh, I was really, really excited about the signing because I think it adds a lot to our squad. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I completely is. It is a signing that came out of the blue. It's a signing I didn't expect us to make, potentially in a summer, but certainly not in the winter transfer window. Um, and he adds such a depth just by with him arriving on his own. He adds such a depth in the centre of midfield. Um in, in the way he, he he plays his game, that it it was it's going to be an immediate improvement. I can't see it being anything otherwise. Um, his his passing is excellent. Um, he, he creates space well within the centre of midfield to to collect the ball. His set pieces themselves are fantastic. You know, hopefully that means the end of Eddie Fernandez terror corners because that's what I've been dreaming of for the last six months. Um, and and he just adds an, an extra danger. He he frees up just his existence within the centre of that midfield going forward. Frees up other players to do potentially more defensive duties, um, which we need them to do, um, or, or bomb forward themselves and get involved. Um, so I, very exciting, and even more exciting as well is it is a permanent deal. I don't know if there's a clause in there. If we end up going down at the end of the season, it means he leaves the club. But for the now, uh, it is a permanent deal rather than just a six-month loan. So I'm very much looking forward to watching him in a mind shirt. Yeah, I think it's at least two and a half years, and then you know maybe there's something that happens if we go down. I think he would be able to play for us, but whether there's a clause that he could leave for a cut price or something, I don't know. I think we, we've already got him for a pretty cut price based on what he's worth. I think it's about, rumoured about 1.5 million euros that we picked him up from Leverkusen for, which I think that's a bargain. When you consider, I think, I believe the Barcock loan was around 300,000 euros or something like that. It's like for a loan for six months for him. Uh, and when you consider really, really Amiri's replacing Barcock in the squad, I just think it's some. Uh, a ginormous glow up and I'm looking forward to seeing him play the rest of the second half of the season uh, the other signing that we picked up I think this was really the complete opposite not in terms of bad signing just in terms of very much like the name that was on everyone's lips from before January because it was like we, knowing Martin Schmidt as we know Martin Schmidt this is exactly who we'd, you would expect him to pick up um, and uh, I don't even mean that in a bad way Jessica Gankam I think he adds a lot to the squad as well in terms of he's a striker we need goals uh, he's also a different profile of striker to the other strikers that we've got um, I think just a little bit more direct um, a little bit more explosive um, a little bit quicker than a lot of them as well which I think helps um, I think I think it's a good pickup on us even though it's just on loan for the rest of the season so really we need him to hit the ground running yeah absolutely Absolutely, we do. Um, but it is another striker in the squad. It is another player that's going to, you know, at, at least lead the line and potentially score goals. It, it is a classic Schmidt and Heidel signing in that we've kind of, we mentioned on the previous podcast, rather than looking around at what is available within the Bundesliga or maybe what's available in the, the second division, um, we've kind of gone and raided the local neighbours, knocked on their door and said, look, do you have any, do you have any spare parts we could, we could borrow for a little bit? We've got, we've got a project. Um, but it, and that's not to talk the player down. That's, you know, oh, we're all willing to give him the opportunity. He, he offers qualities that, that he brings to the club. Um, and, and we're looking forward to seeing what he does at the very least. 
at the very minimum, it's it's another name on the bench for to come on and create a difference when we're looking for a goal. And you know, we were crying out for one of those in Frankfurt a couple of weeks ago. Um, so you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see if um, he is the striker, if he is the 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 bagsman that we've been crying out for. Yeah, I constantly find myself crying out for bagsmen uh, in the mind squad. Uh, but yeah, I think another nice sign, I guess, with this transfer, we'll see how it goes. But um, I believe he was like very close to signing for Augsburg yep. beforehand. And then it's like you come in, you've swooped at the last, at the 11th hour, um, got got the player. Um, firstly, then uh, another team that, you know, they're a little bit further ahead of us in the table, but technically like they're still in the relegation battle. They've not got that little bit stronger that, they probably wanted to. And then it, I think it, it still proves that just regardless of the footballing situation, it's still an attractive place to come and develop yourself as a player, uh, which I think is a little bit of a shot on the arm that I needed <laughs> at that time. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm positive on both of those. And I think if we go on to their first game, while I think both have added something a little bit in their own ways, re- the results haven't turned around. So Bremen, let's rip the plaster off. We lost. Uh it's kind of the same as always. Uh, the only difference was we went 1-0 down in the second minute. And from there is, I think, I, I, I want to posit something at you because I think I, I've been thinking of this game as I was, this is just the same as always. I, I find it really hard to like actually judge our intentions on the game just based on, obviously, once you go a goal down that early, you have to change your plan. So I don't know what our plan going into the game was. Obviously, it was a back five and all of that kind of thing. But it just, in response to the goal, just wasn't quite enough, was it? No, it was... It was everything that's been wrong with with Mainz over the, over the last few weeks. It's it's another one of those continuous slight improvements, but only improvements to a certain point. Um, so there was we come away from the game saying you know there was a little bit more fight in there, there was a bit more edge, there was more intent to get the ball forward, and and I think somebody in the dressing room has clearly realised that to to bring out the old catchphrase that if you don't score goals, you don't win football matches. Um, but it, it, there wasn't enough. There simply wasn't enough. Um, I think conceding a, a goal, as stupid as it was, I you know the the there's ping pong in the ping ping pong ping pong in the box. The ball's kind of dropped somebody's tried to thump it away, smacked it against the arse of our own man. Um, the ball's fallen to the striker, who's then swivelled on it, and Zentner's decided to run towards the ball. I'm not a goalkeeping coach, but I, I feel like if he stands his ground a little bit, knowing that he's got two or three defenders in front of him, he actually makes the save. But he's he's tried to narrow the angle, and if anything, made it harder for himself. Um I don't know after that if a goal that early, if you need to uh, actually change your game plan because a game against Werder Bremen in that situation, the game plan should be we go forward, we score goals, we win this match. They, you know, it, it changes in the sense of you have to now go and get two, um, but you should be looking to get two anyway. Um, and after 90 seconds, I'm not sure if that makes a lot of difference other than potentially Bremen sit five yards deeper. Um you, you'd expect them, however, in the Bundesliga not to do that so early because that just invites pressure for the next 90 minutes. Um, but yeah, means- I think I accept the, like, obviously, I think it probably didn't change our game plan in the first half, but then I just don't know in terms of, I, we were we were a better attacking team against Bremen than we had been in the couple of games before that in 2024. But I mean, firstly, that's by margins. Uh, I, like, basically, we created a couple of chances, so it was already better than Frankfurt, but not that much great. I think there was a couple of shots from range from Amiri and Kraus 
in the first half. Yeah, did Kraus hit the post? In, was that the Brighton yeah, game? Yeah, Kraus hit, yeah. hit the post, yeah. Uh, and I think there may have been one more in the second, but like the, there wasn't anything like clear-cut that has to be scored in the first half. And then no. second half, it's like, again, you, you then have to look at it in terms of, as well, what did the other team try and do? And I think as soon as they scored, they just knew, yeah, just, you just stand around for 88 minutes, pretty yeah. fine. But, <clears throat> but I think where I disagree is on the, on the goal. I think you can't, I don't think you can criticise Zentner here because I think what he's done is just charge forward, force Duck Dutch into a decision. And it's just unfortunate that basically his execution in that moment, Dutch's ex- execution, I mean, was basically correct. He had he had part of the goal to aim at and he's just got it in the bit that he needed it to get into. Um, I think it's just an annoying one where I just think people switched off a little bit. I think the, the ball into the box from the Bremen player in the build-up is lame. Um, you're not under that much pressure and I just think it's a little bit it's, it, if you were to like send me that goal out of context and say like tell me what minute this was in it looks like a tired clearance from Cassie but it's the second minute so it, he's not tired maybe like mentally tired because this fight against relegation is draining I don't know um, but it's just yeah you could say lazy you could say tired clearance and then it's just very unlucky to hit Kraus in the back uh, and just li- literally just land on a plate and I just think it's a good finish I think you just have to you have to force him into making a decision because that's the only way you prevent a goal in that in, in that instance I think but we, we've talked about it regularly and it's it's one of those goals that we've conceded all season but it's one of those goals that we don't score and that's the big difference is if that had happened at the other end of the pitch I don't think we would have scored um based on the season we've had and it, it's just happening. It's just constant because it is. It's stupid. It's it's daft. It's one of these goals that the Bundesliga you should never be conceding, let alone in the second minute. Um, and it, it's just it's so frustrating. And then the, the most frustrating thing to come on top of that is then watching us just not really look like ever scoring a an equaliser and certainly not going on and getting a winner. And you think, all right, you know, any other club, you go, all right, we've conceded a shit goal. It happens. We're one nil down after two minutes. We've got. We've still got 90 minutes plus to go on and at least get an equaliser. But but it's just the reaction of the fans when this goal went in was one of, oh, here we go again. And it was, it, it's it's so draining. Yeah, and that, that and honestly, I could just feel my soul leaving my body when the ball hit the back of the net in that moment. Because I, mean, I think what you have to add to the context of this is that like the atmosphere was so good on Saturday before the game. Yeah. Um, I was, everyone was so excited. It was the Fastnack match day as well. So you had a lot of people sort of, um, charging around in cost- costumes, we had, we had a fast snack kits on. Um, lots of people meeting up, a lot of beers and all, and uh, shopper and all of that sort of being consumed. Uh, and but I think it's one of the better atmospheres pre-game that we've had this season. And then it's just <laughs> it was just gone uh, after two minutes. I mean, fans made an effort to support the team afterwards. Uh, but it's, I think, like I think we said on the previous podcast, like you can tell a difference between like I'm genuinely really enjoying myself and I'm supporting the team, and uh, I guess we have to support the team like <laughs> through this difficult period. Yeah. And in that moment, it flipped from one to the other, and oh yeah, I mean it's it's something that we could have got back if we'd have sort of really had a bit more of a kind of positive way of playing. I think almost, but we'd gone into the game I think a little bit scared of losing with the back five with. I don't know, just I think a little bit of a sort of conservative way of playing. The new boys were in the team and Amiri was pretty good uh, for us. In in that, in that first half, he was just like the only player who seemed, particularly at the races, maybe beyond Kraus, potentially. Um, and then in the second half, I think, interestingly, like after watching the game live, 
I didn't ever feel that we were going to score. And then you watch the highlights and there's actually a few like presentable opportunities. I think the most noteworthy one was Ngankam yeah. on the edge of the box, sort of turning his man and then just just not getting it where he wants it. Yeah, it's a, it, He's created a, a good chance out of a half chance, but you know that's a moment to get your teeth into. There was a, a good slip pass by Amiri towards Anisivo who... Just goes to ground, not a penalty, but you know you're, you're getting close. And at least the approach plays right if the striker movement, but that kind of thing didn't go right. I think Barrero had a half chance that he missed, but again, it's just like few and far between, and, and it needs to be more. When you need two goals, it needs to be more. Yeah, I think that's the key point, and it's been the key point for so many weeks now. Is that it's just simply not enough, and 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 that's the big problem we've got, and it cannot carry on like that, and that's what's so frustrating in this relegation fight. I spoke about Schalke last season um, in a few weeks ago. All right, they ended up going down at the end of the season, but there were games where they really got their teeth into teams and, you know, they were the better team for a long time. The ball didn't fall for them occasionally or it it did fall for, for the opposition in the wrong box at the wrong time. Um, but there was their fans were able... I mean, they're a crazy bunch anyway, you know, respect to, to the, the atmosphere the Schalke fans are able to create a lot of times. Um, but they they had something to really get behind. They had something to actually hoist them up and keep them going. And it is just the most draining thing with Mites at the moment is it's just week after week after week of saying, oh, well, you know, we fought a little bit, but, you know, it, it wasn't enough. And after a point, it's, it's so draining. It gets boring after a while. And it's no wonder that the kind of that fight from you falls away because you just think, well, what's the point? The same thing's going to happen. The same thing's going to happen today as it happened last week. And whatever I say is going to happen now is going to happen again next week. So, meh. Yeah, and I, I think part of that connection that the Schalke team had with their fans at that point is that they were a very poor bunch of players for the level who were giving it absolutely everything. And it actually was working out, not enough to stay up, but it was working out enough to give them a fighting chance of staying up in various moments. And I think our players are a much more talented bunch. So it's harder to kind of under, it's harder to, for me to understand sort of why we're actually down there so much beyond, obviously we've had a little bit of uh, misfortune with injuries, which happens and you can kind of say, well, that's also a consequence of having a small squad. But for me, it's just, I, I come at, I come at that thinking like we've not really been in a game again. And it just, again, I, I hate how I'm a broken record on this. It just comes back to like, decisions that have been made and also just like the coach putting the team out on the pitch and just being scared of his own shadow because I mean we didn't we didn't give it both barrels in that Bremen game to equalize like we tried uh, there's another chance that I forgot which was the Ajork flicked header from a corner that just went wide yeah again that after that there's nothing else that we can really discuss but like really it would have been better to have lost that game 2-0 having had the opportunity to have equalized more at the end uh, because what's goal difference going to help us at this point? Yeah, at this point, you're, pl- you're playing cup finals every week, um, whether we like it or not. Um, and, y- and you have to, if you're not scoring goals, then you have to try something different. And and the broken record point goes beyond you and I moaning on this podcast. It goes to the football club and you say, it is a broken record. If you're trying, Bo Svensson was trying the same thing every week and Siva appears to have taken over um, and, and tried to follow his lead by... Not, not like you say, being scared of his own shadow, not wanting to try something new. There's just not enough adventure. I know it's difficult when you're down there and you're losing every week or you're just not scoring goals. It's difficult to get yourself out of that hole and try something different. But that's when you need players to step up. That's when you need the coach to step up and say, this cannot continue. And that's where these moments of magic will come from. And 
it's just not it's not being shown by by anybody at the moment. And and Amiri's come in, um, for example, and and was a, a key player on the pitch against Bremen and looked genuinely like he would make a difference. And I think part of that is because he's come from a club that is on a massive high at the moment, running top of the league, and has come into a squad of players that are just getting battered mentally every week by by struggling as much as they are. So he brings kind of a, this breath uh, breath of fresh air. Um, but it, it, I, yeah, I because I, I, it can't be just the injuries. It can't be just bad luck. That means we've won one league game of the last twenty five, going back towards the end of last season. Um, and I yeah, I'm sat here just shaking my head into the into the into the screen now into the microphone because I don't know what else there is to say at this point other than what we've been saying for the last two three months. Yeah, and I think it's interesting looking at the example of Amiri coming in immediately, sort of looking much happier in the way he's playing football. I think obviously for him, the fact he's playing more football is a positive. But I think he said after the game, and I, I, this was a kind of a quote that. I think really showed him to be sort of a possible leader for us on the pitch as the season wears on. But he was kind of saying, like, I, like I'm coming here and I'm excited to get stuck in and uh, and playing and I'm confident in what I'm doing. I can see that some of the other players are not like that at the moment. And like my task is to kind of get them to all come into my boat kind of thing and, and raise, the, raise the spirits of other people around them so that they just aren't in their heads and making silly uh, decisions or picking the simple pass over the slightly more difficult one that has the higher reward and all that kind of stuff. So I think that could be really good. And I think, but I think again, it's, it's another thing that then comes back to the coach in terms of, I, th- I think Zivak comes across as like a nice guy. So I'm not, this is not what I'm, I'm not saying anything negative about his character. I'm just saying that in, in a difficult situation, sometimes you maybe need someone that's just going to mix it up a little bit, just like have a little bit more of a personality and like, I think Siva, like I say, I think he he comes across like a nice guy, but he doesn't come across as a character. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't run for him, let alone run through hot coals or through a wall, a brick wall, or whatever. So it's just kind of, I don't know. Like maybe he's a completely different animal once he's behind the closed doors of the changing room. But if he is, it's not showing on on the pitch. I, I think the players look motivated, but I think it's almost despite. I don't know, almost just like such an unmotivating situation. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's. What we talked about previously, a coach that has come in without a great deal of success on his CV, um, that, that kind of, he's he's done half a job almost. He's come in and steadied the ship enough in that, like, we're not conceding goals. We haven't been battered by anybody since September. Part of that was obviously still during Bo's reign, but we haven't been battered by anybody under under Siever. Um, and, and results have, without having won a game, other, obviously, obviously than, other than Leipzig, um, improve slightly because we are picking up at a very slow rate points in the name of draws in in, in the form of draws. Um, but he's not done what we needed, which was somebody to come in and not only steady the shit but also start sailing it forward again by scoring goals and winning games and picking points up. And it, it, I think personality is a fair point as well. But it, it was just it, it baffles me because we're talking about a man now that may potentially lose his job if we get beaten by Stuttgart at the weekend. It baffles me that he was chosen as a safe option over the riskier option of Benny Hoffman, who will potentially come in and play risky football in the name of winning football matches, um, so that we could pick up four draws in in that time. I, I the, the the thinking behind it hasn't quite sunk in with me yet. Yeah, I, mean, I think like as the very very initial kind of interim, I think kind of makes sense in. The- 
I think I was listening to the Hinterhof Sänger last week and there's a very good point made on there about the previous time that we were kind of in this situation where Jan Moritz Lichter came in and didn't do a job that in terms of results sort of helped us out and there was a lot of um, kind of work for Svensson to do when he came in. But in terms of stopping the rot, like there was something there that, that sort of steadied the ship that gave them, the, I guess, the more talented manager um, a little bit more um chance to like a, a bit more of a foundation to build something a bit more successful on top of um and maybe the parallel here is that you, you get someone to kind of take the sting out of the situation build a little bit of a platform and then give the keys to someone else but that should be happening in december yeah. not now <laughs> unfortunately because we've just we've wasted four games five games potentially if we go to stuttgart that's the final game of his like he has to win to keep the job kind of thing and yeah. you don't win. You've you've wasted five games. You've also wasted a two-week training camp um, on a manager that you're clearly not that convi- um, convinced by because after five games, you're going to get rid of him. Like, But having made the mistake, it's better to fix it than to sort of be like, do you know what? We're going to stick by the coach because that's what we do. Because I think for me, it's a pretty clear mistake uh, to have given him the job in the first place. So although it would have been better to have not made that, it's, it's a bigger mistake to not correct the error later on. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Maybe he'll turn it around. But uh, I mean, yeah, I think we've been fairly un- unconvinced throughout. Yeah, and, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a difficult one because I, I feel I've seen in some circles that, that Zivert's been getting a lot of hate, um, has, has been slated in a, in a big way. And I, I don't think he necessarily deserves as much of, of the, the, the kind of grilling that he's getting. Um, but we are in a situation where it is, you know, kill or be killed. Um, and, and you need to come in and you need to hit the ground running and you need to bring in a, a positive influence and, and change things immediately because that kind of, you're all right, we're steadying the ship and, and this is the beginning of a, a long process is something that we, we just simply do not have the time for. Um, and and for me, it's got to a point now, we'll go on to obviously the, the Union Berlin um, game in a minute. It's it got to a point now where even if we do beat Stuttgart, there's no guarantee that that's not another Leipzig blip in the in the matrix. And then we spend, you know, he keeps his job because of that win. And then we we get three points out of 15 in the next five games um, because we continue playing this lack of adventure, lack of risky football, just make sure we keep it tight at the back. So, um, yeah. yeah. And like you say, I think yeah, the hate is probably not warranted in terms of, like I say, it seems like a nice guy. I think it's not his fault he's out of his depth, but he is out of his depth. Yeah. And it's kind of like, well, I don't think it's fair to leave the guy in the situation like that. If you're the people above him, you're sort of, look, he can't do the job he's or he's he's not he's not showing any signs that he can do the job that's going to keep us up he's just sort of being able to kind of like I say take the sting out of it and i think there is a if we go on to the union game i think there is there is some sort of formula here that might work in the right parameters there was a change of formation which i was overjoyed to see i was i looked at the lineup and i was like do you know what there's actually no way this is a back five yeah. well possibly this is a back five but it would be very weird for it to be back five uh and it was a back four finally um and we responded to that with fairly adventurous football which could have been slightly our undoing because folland hit the post for berlin yeah twice in the first 20 minutes or so um but it wasn't we rode a luck a little bit 
got into the game. Uh, and I think in the end, for vast waves of it, with a better team, fought very hard, very tough conditions. I wouldn't have liked to have, well, I kind of would have liked to have been out there myself because I used to love those days where it's just like so muddy. You just get back caked in mud from playing football. But not the, not the conditions that you're going to play your best football in, shall we say. Uh, but I think we kind of mastered the conditions to a certain extent. I think there was a lot of battle and fight and heart in it. Uh, there, for the first time in a while, there's a lot of moments that my head got hot about as well. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, where do we start? Uh, do we do we start with the Ajork, uh grey zone? Uh, no, I think we start with with the, the the first after. Obviously, like you say, Voland hit the bar. Um, he's kind of tossed one into the area that's that's bounced off the top of the bar and come away again. Um, we sort of the, the rally of corners that we had in the lead up to the uh, Ajork penalty incident I'm saying with with bunny ears um it, it was genuinely you could feel it from the stands you could see it in the players of a a genuine moment of pressure from a Mainz team going forward um where we looked like we could have scored six or seven times the ball was dropping there were shots going in there were shots going in there were only on bodies flying everywhere to get the blocks in I think the keeper made a decent stop at one point the ball was getting hacked away for the sake of just get rid rather than you know play the ball out of the back and build an attack ourselves it was just get rid of the thing um and and you did that energy that came down from the stand certainly from where I was standing um, was was the, the biggest moment of we've got a goal coming here um, that we've had for a very, very long time. And then we get on to the Ajork penalty incident at the end of that kind of barrage of corners and, and half chances um, where he's the, the ball's pinged. I think the keeper's made a save. Um, the ball's pinged up in the air and he's he's stooped down slightly to to try and nod it in towards goal. And, and Robin Knocher has... has booted him backwards and 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 just he's kicked him skywards um, he's gone he's gone the full dean martin uh, <laughs> and that's not a reference to that samori that's <laughs> uh, yeah he's he, all the, the the defenders he's taken his head off you could see it from the stands you could see it zivot's going mental on the touchline we're going mental behind the goal johnny borka has has lost his mind completely as york's on the ground with a nose that isn't going to work again because I don't know in what direction that thing's been twisted and there's all kinds of blood coming out of him. And the referee's looked at him and gone, corner. And and I, I, I'm furious about this decision. Like having looked at it back um, afterwards and then having read the reports and the interviews that were done afterwards, every, every system that has been put in place in recent seasons to make sure that these big mistakes don't happen in refereeing decisions don't happen is we've just, just failed us like there is no other way of putting it other than we were failed in that moment yeah I mean I think it's one of those things without far I can understand how it isn't given even though I don't like the fact that someone would make a mistake that's that obvious because like ultimately we've seen it from one angle he's seen it from another angle I think he was sort of slightly behind it he's looking at it from basically the complete different side to the TV camera angle that we're that you can see and then also like from the block that we're in the way that we're looking at it so we 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 saw Robin Knocker put a boot in his face yeah <laughs> he's kind of seen it from the side and obviously like the blood and all of that's not come from nowhere but it, it is the sort of thing where I guess the ref might argue that that's kind of happened sort of after it's all gone and all that kind of stuff. So maybe it's fine. I wouldn't be happy about it, but you know, I'd kind of be like, well, unfortunately these things happen, but you have this VAR system that I don't like 
that makes a lot of these moments like actually difficult to follow in the stadium and they don't actually check it like so the VAR operator in Cologne has watched it and seen well yeah you probably should give it like this is literally the ref has come out and said the ref that he said it probably should be given but like there's enough of a gray area there that you don't have to give it based on the on-field decision it's like well like basically because it's just wrong. Like, why have it? Like, why have the system? Exactly. Like, use it correctly. I, I think the most criminal thing for me in that situation is exactly that. The VAR has looked at it and gone, well, look, listen, there's enough of a grey area. There's enough of arguments not to give it that balance out the arguments for giving it, which simply isn't true for, for one thing. Um, but the fact you've got a striker on the floor whose nose, by the way, is broken. That that news was released today. He He got a broken nose from this incident. Um, that doesn't happen from nowhere. And he's lying on the floor and he's got treatment for five, six, seven minutes, however long it was, um, which means that the VAR has had seven minutes of time before the passage, the, before the play restarts, to look at that in every angle imaginable, the most amount of angles you've ever had at a football match, and it keeps getting more every season, um, to then go, uh, no, I, I don't think so. And, you know, one of the arguments against not giving the penalty was that, that Ajork has, has stooped down uh, slightly. But the man is six foot six or whatever, however tall he is. So the fact he stooped down and has still got kicked in the face means that he's either gone all the way down to kind of uh, hip level, which means he would have been at a 90 degree angle, or the defender's boot has higher than it should be in a normal situation. There is yeah, no exactly. way you can look at that and say that the defender's boot is in a natural position. And it, it winds me up beyond all belief for, for example, if that was a handball decision, how long it would have taken them to decide whether the arm was in a natural position. How, at what point are you deciding that the leg isn't in a natural position because it's kicked a six foot six man in the face? <laughs> Well, the thing is, so the leg is very much in a natural position because he's gone to kick the ball, but you have to play the situation that he's missed the ball and booted him in the face. And like after booting him in the face, the ball has hit him, so he then has played the ball. But it's like, well, to be honest, I think the ball is irrelevant in any of this. He could have he could have kicked the ball and cleared it, and his, his studs could have gone through and then continued to then break a Jacques' nose. And it's still, to be honest, in my mind, it's still dangerous play. It's still a re- like I mean, it's a red card. Yeah. And that's early in the game. It's a completely different kettle of fish. To be honest, the way we were playing, we wouldn't have scored the penalty, but against 10 men... Like, <laughs> Certainly not from Ludo. You know, anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But I mean, for, fair play to him for playing basically the whole game with a broken nose, first yeah. of all. That yeah, kind of fun. In those conditions as well, probably went numb or so. Who knows? Like I say, on the pitch, I think Johnny Burkhardt's come out and said that he wasn't sure what happened, to be honest, and was just sort of... Yeah, trying to see what, what would happen if he protested. Yeah. So like I say, on the pitch, I can understand why the referee made the mistake. It's just, I don't want us to have VAR. So I'm, I'm actually okay with that penalty not being given because someone's made a genuine error. Um, but if we're going to have VAR, yeah. there's no excuse for not giving it. And the fact that like someone would say that there's arguments against it, I'm just like, you just don't know football. <laughs> like you, basically, that that like the, whoever's on the VAR should not be involved in that until they've kind of you know gone back through the ranks again I don't think because they need to be they need to be re-educated Patrick Muller for everybody listening if you ever see that name if you ever see him refereeing one of your games prepare for a shocker of a a season yeah so I think we've got that out of our system a little bit it's annoying 
it kind of killed the flow of the game a little bit. I think for the for the ten minutes or so after that, it was a little bit of a nothing affair uh, as Azure got back into it. And I, I think one of the things the not giving the penalty took away potentially took away from us as well is like I was saying earlier, we had that barrage of chances and there was an unbelievable energy coming off of the stands. If we win that penalty and we score it, the place erupts. The place genuinely just goes. It becomes a dungeon at that point, an absolute hellhole for an away team because we would have been right behind the team and the not giving that and the amount of time it took for the the treatment to take place just completely took that energy out of us yeah it was, it was the time of the treatment because I think the atmosphere was still like everyone's head was hot when that wasn't given because yeah. it was so obviously the wrong call that I think genuinely and this was a point that I read in kicker that I thought was a really good point that like basically like a, a, a team that is doing well out of a relegation battle or is like taking on the challenge properly would then basically be able to like use that as a like everyone's against us and we're just going to keep going kind of thing rather than feeling a little bit sorry for themselves. And I think that's mm. just maybe that's set in after five, six minutes of waiting for Jacques' nose to be stapled back on. Um, <laughs> but it did like we, we kind of acquiesced a little bit, not the Union were any good, like, no. It didn't really do that much after that point either. Uh, it just basically took a while for us to kind of get back into our rhythm. And there was a lot of effort. I mean, the the sort of that uh, the half of the pitch that we were attacking just basically became a bog at this point as well because the downpour was so heavy. Uh, I think there was one point where um, Da Costa tries to play a back pass towards Fernandez and he just gets hit, hit in a puddle, sells everyone short, and then Union just get through on goal and thankfully miss um, quite a bad sitter actually in the end. Um, but it's just... I look at that and I'm just like, in that half, we battled really hard. We got back on top, built up another head of steam. Um, and then there, there was an, another incident that wound people up. I, I, I was finding it quite amusing in the end, to be honest, uh, with the Union fans doing their DFL protest, throwing the, the tennis balls on the pitch, uh, which again basically led to another long interruption in, in the game as sort of those were cleared and then more were added to the pitch. It was quite comical. Um, and again, that, that was weird because then it was like a singing against the DFL, Union fans not joining in with the chance. And then, yeah, just like, I guess the stand taking on a mind of, mind of its own almost. Yeah, it was a weird situation. We all know what's going on with the, the DFL, the investors and whatnot. Um, and, and we're all certainly, you know, the, the bubble with I'm in are, are against these investors within the, the German league system. Um, so I was, I was confused to, to hear a few people booing the protest. Um, obviously not getting political on a, on a football podcast, but fundamentally I don't understand booing a podcast, a, pod, a, a podcast, what am I talking, a protest, sorry. Um, booing a protest, a protest is there to be disruptive. That is the entire point. If a protest wasn't disruptive, it's not achieving anything. Um, so I, I don't understand this argument of, yeah, but the, the fans are disrupting the game. It's like, well, of course they are, because that's the only opportunity they have to have make their voices heard. I just wish they could have done it at a point where we weren't on top. Like if they could have done it when they were on top, it would have been a more salient point being made, I think. Like it's one of those things again, it's just like I think we had like an attacking throw in, everyone was like, right, here we go. Um and then yeah, I guess seven, eight minutes of tennis balls being cleared. But yeah. Ultimately it doesn't matter. Like you say, like they're trying to make a point. It's a point that a lot of people agree with. Mm. Um it's also a point that a lot of people don't agree with, um, as well. Like not all fans have this, the same opinion on whether investors should be uh, taken on into league as um active um like ultra fan scenes and all of that do um as well. We lean towards the uh, agreeing with them, I think, both of us, um, that we shouldn't have 
investors sort of coming into the league. But yeah, it's, it's one of those things I think you just have to, even if you don't like it, just kind of yeah, just put yeah, up with it a little bit. Yeah, it's it, gonna it, end. <laughs> yeah, it comes with the um, it comes with the, with the uh, the program. The you know fans aren't going to take it lying down, and that's one of the very good. That's one of the most beautiful things about German football is that the active fan scenes have such a say in the way or you know on paper have such a say in the way football is run it doesn't feel like that at the moment based on the decisions that are being made um and and to then say that the fans shouldn't be allowed to protest because it disrupts the football being played on the pitch is to my mind just completely missing the point and purposely missing the point um so i don't understand it but you know what it did mean it was there was this long delay which meant you know when the the football got was being played again when the uh when the whistle went again um we won a corner, the ball was, was whipped in and Fussball got himself, the greatest man ever to have lived, came back from such a long injury spell to nod us in front, Johnny Borka. Yeah, I think actually what it did was add a little bit more spice back into the game at that point because yeah. obviously there were then people singing against the DFL and Union Berlin uh, and then also they were singing against us uh, and obviously then you've just got that condensed bit of injury time where it's just like, I think injury time takes on a bit of a mind of its own. Um, yeah, like you say, we had a couple of corners uh, and firstly, a peach of a delivery from uh, Nedi Mamiri. Beautiful. We saw, we saw a little bit of his set pieces. He, he narrowly missed a free kick as well, um, maybe about 20 minutes uh, into the game, 25 minutes in, um, but a perfect corner. Um, and yeah, just the man you want, well, the man you want there is probably Ajorg if he's going to be informed, but the man that I'm, I was so glad to be on the end of it in terms of Johnny Burkhardt, I think not only did that relieve a lot of the frustration of that first half in terms of the, the stoppages in play and the fact that we'd missed a few chances and the penalty not being given and all of that, but like then also just like actually like the pure joy of finally seeing him score again, such a meaningful moment to fans and him alike. Um, yeah, you could. I mean, he he was just electric when he yeah. scored. You could see it absolutely tearing away into the corner. And yeah, uh, I think there was probably a few tears in people's eyes because a lot of people really, really identify with the bloke. And yeah, let's hope that this is the start of uh, him turning a corner in terms of his form because it's yeah. not been easy for him to come back into playing regularly. I don't think. No, I I, I think that's he's a, at the task a lot, but he's finally got his reward. I think that's a great observation as well with his celebration. You could see how much it meant to him. Like it wasn't obviously just scoring the opening goal in an important game in a relegation scrap. That was a man that I, I've not spoken to him, I don't know, but I can only imagine for long periods probably thought he was never going to play football again. Um, or certainly in the Bundesliga, certainly professional football. Um, and it clearly meant so much to him. And to score such an important goal at such an important time, um, I, I can personally say that I, I nearly had tears. I was I was I lost it completely. Uh, I really identify with Johnny Borka and and you know his role at Mainz 05. Um so it's, it was it was such a great moment to see him score that goal. Um and it's just a shame that that he scores these important goals for for Mainz 05 when um yeah, we we decide to to mind things 5 minutes later. Well, I mean, so I've not been able to watch this back cuz what I'm annoyed about I don't think he's in any of the highlights packages but so basically minutes later Union got up the other end and score uh, they do this from an attacking throw in uh, which kind of works it from one side into the other no one's at the uh, no one's in at the back post and Gorzen's uh, volleys in so yeah just your typical Mainz goal conceded in terms of the defending from a wide position leaving a spare man at the post it, it's just very similar to the sort of goals that we were conceding to Barons back in uh, August when it was sunny 
but I think it was our throwing. I think I think a short yeah. won the ball for us there. The throwing went the wrong way, and this is again another thing where I'm just kind of looking at the referee, like, and this continued in the second half. Him and the linesman kept giving the throws the wrong way to both teams, but I was just like. Yeah. Are you stupid? Like, I genuinely, like, <laughs> I, I, I'm further away than you and I can see that you're wrong. Yeah. And I, I'm not 100% convinced because nobody nobody else I've seen has raised this point. But not- I'm absolutely convinced that it was our throw and therefore, I, like... You know, I'm, I'm 100% with you. I was I was convinced it was our throw as well. I, 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 in fact, I know for a fact, like, my, my two eyes were not lying to me in that moment. It was our throwing. The problem I've got with it is, I, I in that situation, I can't blame the referee. He's got the decision wrong. The decision is wrong. Um, but still, switch on though. Yeah. But we, you've, you've got to switch on. You cannot. It's not an excuse to switch off and concede a shit goal. Um, and it's it's ended up costing us. Um, whether you know whether the referee was in the wrong in that situation or not, um, somebody at the back there has not done their job, and you know we've conceded another crap equaliser because of it. Um, so yeah, and then and then the the second, you know, that was. I think the final kick of the the first half, so 45 plus 13, the goal went in. We may have kicked off again, but the whistle was blown immediately. Um, And then came out into the second half onto Hackney Marshes, basically. And there was no football played for 45 minutes. Yes, Hackney Marshes one end and Centre Court the other. Um, So it's very much like London in terms of geography. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, second half... I think again, this is you can split this into kind of maybe about twenty-five minutes of our dominance and then twenty minutes of them being the better team at the end. In terms of if you look at chances, I think Renault makes two big saves early on in the second half. There's one from De Costa on the where he follows in uh, from wide, uh, and then there's also um, Amiri from a free kick where he's just placed it low, sort of into the corner. Um, two pretty smart stops, and there was a head of steam building up. Every time we got a corner, we looked really dangerous. Um, and for, for a team that are so strong from set pieces or were so strong before this season, uh, it's very weird to see <laughs> when you're just all of a sudden not being able to win a first ball uh, from a set piece. Um, but then it just kind of seemed to unravel. I think the, the point that I would say that this started to go wrong, and we're just piling in on Yanziva again, is when we took Amiri off for core. Yep which I understood taking Amiri off in terms of he's not played much football. He's played a lot. He was running for a bog, a lot of energy expended. And he was literally covering, he's covering every blade of grass that existed on the pitch and a lot of the mud particles as well. Um, so fair play taking him off, but it's, that's a far too defensive substitution at a point where you have the other team basically at your mercy. Yeah, it was it, it was classic Ziva. It's, it's making a substitution... Not necessarily for the sake of making a substitution, like you said. I, I think you had to take Amiri off at that point because he w- he was exhausted. You could see on the on him that it's just you, there wasn't going to get much more out of him um, that was going to be a positive influence on on the game. So making the change was fine, but it's it's, rec- it's recognizing that the change needs to be made and then acting on it positively that he struggles with. I think, and we've seen that in previous weeks. Like we're we're looking for a goal, so he brings on Maxim Leitch. Like he's recognised that play needs to come off, but he brings on a centre half when we're looking for a goal. Um, and that, and that's where maybe I mean because the thing is like the the obvious choice on the bench would have been Gruder, who we don't know how long he would have been able to play really based on the injury he had before. So I'm not even necessarily f- specifically having a go at the actual substitution. It might have been right, but what you maybe then needed to do was also at the same time make 
add a Gankam onto the pitch and yeah. see what happens there, just yeah. to mix it up. And, and Gankam came on yeah. 10 minutes too late. He came on, because Amiri came off in about the 70th, and Gankam was then brought on in the 80th, I think for, was it a Jork or was it? Uh, it's for Anisiva. Was it for um, Anisiva, who, wasn't who, it? Who, who, who ran himself into the ground as well. Um, who, who knackered and then also in that 10 minute spell, Missed an open goal, basically. Oh, well, yeah, that's a, another thing, isn't it? It's a story of our season. The the ball's been whipped to the back post. Oni Zivo stood maximum 10 yards out and he somehow put his head wide. Free man as well. Um, but, it, yeah, to, to get back to the, to the Zivo point, and it, it just follows in with that, the conversation we were having, this narrative of him just not being adventurous enough. There's just not enough risk. And in a game like last night against Union, a game where... If you don't win, you remain six points behind them, in and they're in the final automatic safety spot. Um, you have you have to go and get a winner, like you you at the very least try and get the winner. If you end up losing the game two one, yeah, okay, like obviously that makes things a lot harder than it is. But you, sometimes the reward only comes with risk, and what you've done now is rolled your dice in such a way that you don't you don't lose necessarily, but you end up losing in the long term rather than going for that that short-term reward um and yeah one point wasn't particularly useful for us last night because it doesn't again, achieve it's, anything it's, a, it's also we've not gained on and on because they also gained a point so yeah we're now within a win of 16th again um but i mean we've done one of them all season <laughs> so <laughs> don't know what that serves us really um and yeah I, I think we could have we couldn't really have afforded to lose but actually you have to you have to be okay with the fact that you might lose if you're going to go and try and win it. And those substitutions, when they were made, the, the points that they were made, I just, it's in that, I mean, I think basically everyone's soul left their body after Anisivo's miss. So maybe that's part of it as well. But just basically after that, we seeded the momentum. Uh, Union had a few chances. I think, uh, was it Vitessen who was basically mm. f- assisted by the bog to get through one on one? And then Zentner stands him up. And it's, a poor, it's a poor shot, mm. but it's a good save um, to sort of stay up that long um, in the situation. But all of the chances and all of the possession and all of the sort of creativity, having for 70 minutes really been us, all of a sudden became Union towards the end of the game. They were the only team that looked like winning it really towards the yeah. end. Yeah. Uh, and you bring on Brian Gruder with two minutes left or something like that, which again, we don't know how many minutes he was able to play after coming back from an injury, but it just kind of felt like he was the player that we were probably screaming out for, for the, after the, at the point that Anissa missed the chance, we were screaming out for someone like him. who's just, you know what, he's just going to, he's going to put a question back into their mind after they're kind of relaxed a little bit. The the Uh, Gruder substitution for me does not make any sense at all. Like, at that situation in the game, if you're saying that he's not going to be able to play much football at all, like what's the point in bringing him on? Because we'd got to a point where we were basically, I don't think anyone at that point in the 91st, 92nd minute was was going to go on and win the game. I think both sets of players were just happy to get off of that pitch because they'd expended so much energy playing on it. The pitch itself was not a pitch that lends itself to the style of football Brian Gruder plays. Like trying to dribble and trying to be creative on a bog like that isn't going to happen. And at that point, for me, if you're bringing him on for two minutes for the sake of it, I, I'd say just don't bring him on at all um, because I don't think it makes any difference. What you'd have been better on doing is either bringing him on after 70 when Core came in um, or bringing Ngancam into the game earlier on to, to give players a chance to go and look for that goal. I think, thro- for me, throwing Gruder on in the 91st minute was a kind of scream of desperation. It was a, a kind of moment of, oh, God, yeah, we do actually need to go and get a goal. Uh, what options do I have? 
And like, I don't understand how a player like that's supposed to get into the game and create anything um, of note with two minutes on on a swamp. Um, Presumably the uh, tactical instructions he was getting given as he was warming up was just like a clip of him scoring against Gladbach or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's yeah. what we needed at the moment. But yeah, I think you're right. It was... At, at that late in the game, it was a little bit of a desperate move, but I think it's also just the tradition of Mainz managers, it seems, to just make subs far too late. Uh, Zivert's not the first, he won't be the last. Um, and ultimately, we never know sort of a lot of the reasons behind these substitutions, so it's hard to then judge them other than like how it worked out. It could have been perfect logic that didn't work out, but I don't see the logic and it didn't work out. So I'm happy to sort of basically say that we got to the 70th minute. We had a point in the relatively in the bag, and Zivers put the handbrake on because it's better to not lose, in his opinion. But yeah, who knows? Who knows? Uh, we need to do two man of the matches for our spreadsheets for the previous game. My answers are easy because it's a mirror for both of them. Yeah, I, right. I, can, I, yeah, <laughs> I <laughs> that was that was very easy. No, I fully I fully go along with that. Um, Amiri has been fantastic since he came in. Two games has been a really, really good addition, and I'm hoping he continues that form. Um, in fact, no, I'm going to change mine because I don't like giving them both to Amiri. I think I think he's been brilliant, but the way he, I'm going to bring the point up, but the way he shushed the fans that were booing the team after the Union game last night rattled me a little bit. Um, that's clearly a man that doesn't necessarily fully understand the situation he finds himself in and has come from a team that is winning every week. Um, you, you can have your feelings on whether the team should be booed or not, but to actively shush fans that are showing their grievances for the situation the club they're in is something that I, do, doesn't lend itself well to me. Um, but he's performed well enough on the pitch that I'm, I'm willing to forgive him. Um, so I'll give Amiri for the Bremen game and then I'm going to give it to Johnny Borkart for Union just because enough, of, yeah. his goal was the just moment. such a special yeah. moment and he fully deserved it. Um, and I'm really hoping he can kick off, uh, kick on from there. I'm hoping it can kick off as well. I mean, that would be, be great. Uh, I think we need, like I said, we need we need something. We need some kind of fresh impulse in the team. But I think it's interesting you point out with that because, to be honest, I don't mind a player giving it back to fans a little bit when I think they're not necessarily wrong in terms of. I think a fan is always able to say what they want to say uh, about how things are going on, and if that's their opinion, then you have to listen to it and you have to see it. But at the same time, I just think after that game. I think the, I've been emotionally on the floor all day today after that game. Mm. Uh, the problem is because for 70 minutes, it was quite good. And yeah. the players, you could see, were straining every sinew. It wasn't yeah. about effort. It wasn't about a lack of battle. It wasn't about not caring and not trying. No. For me, it's the handbrake being put on at the 70th minute because up until then, it was we were looking like we might snap, snap, uh, snap, uh, snag a second goal. Yeah. So for me, it's just, I mean, there is maybe one person or three people that you might want to sort of have a word with in a negative way. But I actually, I noticed a lot of people sort of giving it to the team. and I, I just didn't, I, di- I didn't agree with it. I was kind of like, I, I think you're going after the wrong people here. I, and um, 100% that is the, the, the correct thing. And it's a point, I don't remember if it was an article, if I read it um, in, in one of the group chats with, with different Mainz fans is that we are at a position now where it could dangerously tip over. If results keep going wrong, then the, the actual atmosphere at the club could could turn into something very negative and something very toxic. And we are at a point now where that may begin to start happening. And I also am all for giving it back to a player. You know, that's I think it belongs in football. A bit of banter, a bit of to and from, you know, that is everything is part of that. 
But if fans start showing their grievances, whether they're correctly aimed or not, and your response as a player that's not been at the club for two weeks is to put your hands to your lips and shush them, then I think you're playing, you're walking a very thin tightrope for me. That is a very dangerous game. And yeah, given, given how seriously fans take themselves. Exactly. Like it, it, it serves only to stoke a fire that I don't think needs to be stoked. Yeah, although some 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 fire needs to be stoked somewhere. So maybe maybe, it's been, maybe he's playing forward forty chess, and we just we can't we can't recognise it yet. But I don't know. I mean, like the, the rumours this evening as we record this, I was I, I read uh, some stuff from Build, uh, which I don't tend to read, but um, they think that if we don't win on Sunday, that Benny Hoffman's got the job and Ziva's back down to the under twenty three. So it's going to be a big weekend, whatever happens, really, isn't it? I mean. Fastnack this weekend as well. I think there'll be a, a big away contingent in Stuttgart anyway for that. But it's basically a final for not just us in the in the in the like we've got yeah fourteen finals, thirteen finals, however many it is uh, before the end of the season. Um, but also for his for his leadership, yeah, it potentially could be. The I think last chance to sort of stake his, his claim. Going going beyond the football as well, I think the most interesting thing for me in that situation is is how the the contracts work. Do you just like take take Jan's contract and Benny's, and you just tip out tip X out the names and and you just rewrite them, just swap the names around on the contracts? Don't worry, lads. Benny, you've got this until twenty six. Jan, back to the twenty threes with you. Go on, get out of here. Um, it, I don't know. I I'm not normally a person that that looks for drastic reactions within coaching staff but if if we lose against Stuttgart which could potentially be a very heavy loss um, and there's nothing to suggest that it won't be other than we've conceded less goals in games recently but the, you know it, there has to be an exception to every rule um, I, yeah I, I don't think Ziva can continue because he's just not shown that he's the man that's going to kick us up the ass in the way we need to um, and, and a broken disc again broken record um, I genuinely wouldn't be surprised if we if we do end up losing on Sunday. If we're sat here recording next week, talking about the permanent appointment of Benny Hoffman to the to the first team. Yeah, and I think really like the arguments of us winning at Stuttgart on Sunday basically bow down to that like in between this clip of Jay saying I don't know funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean they're going so well, we're going so badly. It, it's basically it would just be the football gods just. Ha- wreaking yeah. havoc and, and seeing what might happen but we'll be back next week to discuss it uh i think we, we've covered pretty much every detail ultimately we, we could have gone into even more detail but uh i don't think we need to it's, it's been a long evening and we need to get this podcast up <laughs> yeah no i am um, uh, i went to the game on tuesday night i went to the game last night we've just spent 90 minutes discussing my install film i am mentally drained and exhausted i'm going to bed and with that we bid you good night Good night.